0: it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow!
1: Hello, and welcome to Two for One, where we discuss two movies based off the same source material. I'm Claire.
0: And I'm David, and today we're going to be talking about two versions, two adaptations of... The short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So the versions we're going to be talking about are Disney's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which came out in 1949 and is animated. And as you can probably guess from the name, it is a pairing of two different stories. And really only half of the movie is about uh, Ichabod Crane um, and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow.
1: You can perhaps deduce that, but some of us, like myself, have gone our whole lives thinking that it is a story of the legend of Sleepy Hollow with a toad character somehow inserted in there. And until watching it with David, that is what I believed.
0: The other version of the movie that we're talking about is Sleepy Hollow, which came out in... I believe 2000, is that right?
1: 1999.
0: 1999 uh, was directed by Tim Burton and stars Johnny Depp. Both of these movies are based on the short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. So to start off with the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad... Uh, The relevant segment uh, is the second part of the movie, and that begins with schoolteacher Ichabod Crane arriving in Sleepy Hollow, which is a rural Dutch community alongside the Hudson River in the newly independent United States. Despite his odd appearance with lanky limbs and exaggerated facial features, he proves popular with the women of Sleepy Hollow, who invite him over for dinner every night. Ichabod, however, has eyes only for Katrina Van Tassel, the daughter and heiress of the richest man in town. His attraction to the young Miss Van Tassel draws the ire of popular prankster and romantic rival Brom Bones, who terrifies the pedagogue with local folklore about a headless horseman who rides the roads on cold, dark nights. The film stars Bing Crosby as Ichabod, Brom, and the narrator, and is paired with the Wind in the Willows to make Disney's feature film The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. This was directed by a trio, and I'm not sure who actually directed which parts of the movie. It was directed by Clyde Geronimi. Jack Kinney, and James Auger with Ben Sharpstein as production supervisor. So, I'm really not sure who did what on this.
1: You know, and I looked it up on Wikipedia before we started, and I don't remember. The story has some pretty key differences in the 1999 version. In Burton's 1999 version, which is titled Sleepy Hollow, Johnny Depp plays Ichabod Crane, who is an investigator with a firm belief in science, who is dismissed by the New York establishment. He's sent on an investigation in the small town of Sleepy Hollow. There he stays with the wealthiest family in town, the Van Tassels. Baltus Van Tassel is played by Michael Gambon. His new wife, Lady Van Tassel, is played by Miranda Richardson. And his daughter, Katrina Van Tassel, is played by Christina Ricci, who becomes a love interest for Ichabod despite having a fiancé, Brahm. Van Tassel and the other village leaders tell Ichabod that the beheadings have been committed by a specter called the Headless Horseman, the spirit of a Hessian mercenary of the Revolutionary War who was killed in the nearby woods about 20 years ago. While Ichabod at first refuses to believe this, more beheadings occur and eventually Ichabod comes face to face with the horseman. So still, despite being forced to accept this supernatural occurrence, his rational mind prevails and he deduces the horseman as being controlled by someone in possession of the Hessian skull. And his investigation continues as he works to discover who possesses the motive to command all of these murders. Before we get into similarities and differences, I think it's worthwhile noting the actors related to each movie. I think it's particularly notable in the Disney cartoon that Bing Crosby is literally everybody in the movie.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think Ichabod really talks at all.
1: Very little, which is played for comedy a lot. And actually, if you look on IMDb, while Bing Crosby does deliver Ichabod's few lines, another (sighs) actor is credited as being Ichabod's screams. Mm -hmm. It's like one of those sort of sound effect actors. He plays the horse sound effects and ichabod screams, and i just i wonder if they asked bing crosby to scream and his screams just weren't good enough because that's not like who he is or if it's from an era where it was like oh it would be like like demeaning to ask the great bing crosby to scream into a microphone like i don't know what do you think happened
0: no, I have I have no idea. It's probably just like they have specialists to do that kind of that kind of that kind of sound. sound yeah. I guess you're talking about uh, Pinto Colvig. Yes. As Brahms' horse and Ichabod Crane screaming. Yeah. And then uh, there's some other villagers, but nobody nobody super important.
1: Yeah. Um, but a lot of the the story, like David says, Ichabod barely talks because. Most of the story is either songs that Bing Crosby is singing mm-hmm. or the narrator explaining what's happening. Which is also
0: Bing Crosby. Barely
1: any dialogue. Yeah, it's all Bing Crosby.
0: They play Ichabod for laughs a lot as, like, mm-hmm. one of those characters that, you know, he's got his nose in the book all the time. Kind of like Belle, who's just, like, yeah. walking through the village and, uh, you know, funny things are happening around him.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: but he's, like, semi-oblivious to what's going on. So I think having a mute character makes sense for that. But, yeah, really the, the most dialogue in this comes when Brahm is trying to both impress Katrina and scare Ichabod. And he tells the story, the legend of uh, the Headless Horseman. Right.
1: Well, even that's a song, telling the legend.
0: You're right. Yeah. That is a song. But yeah. it's sung by a character as opposed to like the Ichabod song yeah. is sung by the Yeah,
1: another character voiced by Bing Crosby,
0: though. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's all Bing Crosby all yeah. the way down. Yeah.
1: And I thought it was notable because the Mr. Toad story is the first half, mm-hmm. um, which has a different narrator and then Bing Crosby's voice comes in and he really, he did have a voice, you know, it's very like rich and I don't know. <laughs> You can, yeah. like, settle and be like, ooh, this voice. Um, but I also, when it comes to the 1999 version, I have to say that I'm a pretty big fangirl of Miranda Richardson. I might be slightly biased, therefore, in my assessment of her performance because I just, I love her. I think she's, I mean, she's gorgeous. She was born for the pencil-thin-eyebrow era, and I think she's kind of cool in her, like, dark presence. I mean, she's in a Tim Burton movie, right? So you have that aesthetic, and I think she fits it really well. I don't know if she was in any other movies by him, but I just want to say I love her. Um, yeah. I thought Michael Gambon really stood out to me on this viewing as well.
0: Well, Miranda Richardson, I feel like she was playing the roles that Michelle Pfeiffer is getting now, yes. where like Michelle Pfeiffer gets to be like, you know, middle-aged, but still hot, but yes. also crazy. Mm-hmm. Miranda Richardson was doing that for a long time, and I think not getting as much recognition as Michelle Pfeiffer is now. You know, exactly. now everybody loves Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes. And Miranda Richardson was just like, that was me 15 years ago. <laughs> I you had know? the
1: same thought when we were putting it on. I was it like, would oh, yeah, be... Michelle Pfeiffer plays the the wife, right? And then I saw it was Miranda Richardson, and I was like, how could I forget? I love Miranda Richardson. It would be Michelle Pfeiffer But my now. brain had made her, yeah, into Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right, so let's get into um, our comparison. What are the merits and the faults of these respective movies? The motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited
0: tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden?
1: So the first thing I wanted to comment on is just specifically to the Disney movie. It is an animated movie, um, and it came out in the 40s, is that right?
0: Um, it came out in 1949,
1: yeah. Right, so pretty early Disney. It was the last of the like anthology Disney movies where they would do multiple stories in one, one film. And it's definitely still developing not only what is a Disney movie, but honestly what is an animated movie. I thought the Mr. Toad segment was... I know that's not what we're talking about, but I thought it was a little embarrassing that the animals would be talking and the mouths would not be synced up with... The dialogue?
0: Yeah, I think, like, especially Mr. Toad wasn't, like, the animation wasn't top tier yeah. Disney quality. And maybe, I-, I wonder if, like, did most of the budget go to uh, Sleepy Hollow? Because it looked a lot better.
1: That's what I was trying to figure out um, when I was looking through Wikipedia. That wasn't really. I mean, they blew the budget
0: on Bing Crosby, probably. (laughs) Right? Right?
1: But the animation is so much better with the Ichabod story compared to the Mr. Toad story. And they did Mm. some things in the Ichabod story that I think are kind of like iconic early cartoon comedy and also like environment sort of elements too. I thought, especially when Ichabod is going through he's going home from the the party where you he heard the scary story mm-hmm. and you see the clouds coming over the moon but the clouds are resembling hands sort of closing around that
0: was cool
1: it does it looks really cool so and then the comedy elements were everywhere i mean the the <laughs> cattails going on the log and all of the the horse you know rearing up and everything yeah. was very cartoonish and yeah. funny
0: so both in the original short story and in the disney version Brahm tells Ichabod this scary story, and then Ichabod has to go home. And he knows that he's going on the path that Brahm said <laughs> the Headless Horseman haunts. And so I think he's imagining, like, every sound is, you know, the clip clop of a, of a horse next to him, uh, and he hears the wind is whispering his name and stuff like that. So you get a lot of, like, these spooky but also comedy. Little bits uh, before the Headless Horseman actually shows up, which he does, um, and then chases Ichabod and runs him essentially out of town. And again, in both the short story and in the Disney version, the Headless Horseman is revealed to just be Brahm.
1: Oh, really? Because the Disney version, they give you two possible endings, right? They say either he was taken by the spirit of the Headless Horseman or. He just left town that night and married some widow in another town over and, like, had a lot of kids. But a lot of people believe the Headless Horseman took him, right? Because didn't they only find uh, the remains of a jack o' lantern and Ichabod's hat? Which I think is so creepy. It's like, is this a children's movie that you're telling them? Like, first of all, you're doing all these scary cartoons. It's not quite, like, Night on Bald Mountain from Fantasia scary, but it's still, like, a scary visual. Cartoon to have this headless horseman running after after Ichabod, and then to have the story end and be like, you might think he's this town over, but the people who know the real story know he was taken. It's like, definitely from an era where they were like, let's just scare the shit out of children and call it a movie.
0: I guess it was heavily implied that it was Brom in the short story, and yeah, it's presented as one of the options, but it's not clear, and I think... I I guess, like, to me, the fact that it's a pumpkin... Makes it seem like a prank, mm-hmm. right? That it's not an actual head that he's carrying around.
1: It literally is in the 1999 version, right? Is it Brahm? It's somebody in the town early in the investigation. It's Brahm, yeah. Chases, yeah, chases Ichabod through the, the covered bridge and throws a pumpkin at him. And yeah. then Ichabod realizes, like, oh, they're just fucking with me. Yeah, anyhow, I just wanted to say the cartoon is notable for that era. I certainly am not an expert on the evolution of cartoons, but I thought that, especially juxtaposed with Mister Toad, the Ichabod Crane story had some some aspects of its cartoons that were pretty respectable and cool.
0: Yeah, and I think a little bit of uh, maybe some iconic images, like you're talking about with the what are what are the plants called? The
1: cattails, drumming cattails
0: along. drumming like to sound like a horse clip clopping, and then during the chase scene itself uh ichabod he just he's holding on to his horse gunpowder for dear life and i think gunpowder at times is scared but at times has no clue what's going on so there's some comedy with the horse and like he ends up backwards on the horse and i think at some point
1: classic cartoon humor he
0: ends up on the headless horseman's horse at some point and the whole time the horseman is just swinging his sword wildly at him um, yeah either trying to kill him or just menacingly.
1: You know what else I thought was uh, was pretty classic cartoon. Now and probably established during this era was so Ichabod has these incredibly long feet. I think in the song, Bing Crosby says are they're like they are shovels, they shovels or are they feet? And he's like walking with this waddle that is very like humorous and definitely making use of the the cartoon as a medium in order to convey how silly he is.
0: Yeah, and again, like he's not paying attention to where he's walking, so he's got this waddle, and he's just like walking Looking in the book. Yeah. yeah, walking all through town like this.
1: Meanwhile, the aesthetic of the 1999 version is obviously very different, very Tim Burton. Um, but I also want to just talk about the plot of the 1999 version, where it's not complicated, but it feels complicated. And it's just a hard movie to follow.
0: I think it's complicated.
1: All right, cool. Let's say it's complicated then, because one of the things for me is just that he's introduced to five men all at once, who all are wearing powdered wigs and are mm-hmm. just like wealthy, respectable men about town. They pound. all have Dutch names. Yeah. Long names, and then you also, like, one's a reverend, one's a magistrate, one's a notary, and it's like, there's names, there's jobs, there's all this stuff.
0: And the jobs don't really matter that much.
1: No, the jobs don't matter But then at the
0: end, they kind of matter.
1: I guess it matters that the one, well, yeah, I don't know. It's like, the doctor would know this because he's a doctor, and it's like, okay, but I don't know who the doctor is of all these people, you know?
0: So the difference here, and I will say for the record that as part of the research for this particular podcast, I read the short story.
1: Yes, you did, and I did
0: not. Uh, But the difference here is that rather than just doing the short story that ends with Brom telling him about the legend and then chasing him down and potentially running him out of town or maybe he gets abducted by the horseman, as Claire said, that's not really the plot of this movie. The horseman is real, explicitly, and it just goes entirely in a different direction. The short story had maybe like two things going on you know it's kind of a spooky ghost story but also it's a story about like outsiders in like this rural community right you know? and coming
1: and, in and messing with the engagement with katrina and everything that's part of the short story as well
0: yeah that like i think there's resentment in the town that he's not dutch that he's not from there uh that he's really popular with the ladies um And, you know, this is the person that is teaching their children and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think there's just, like, a little bit of resentment going on. And that's why Brom, you know, that's part of the reason that Brom decides, like, oh, I'm going to mess with this guy. And the other part of it is he likes Katrina, too. So, you know, fuck this guy. (laughs) Right? Yeah. The 1999 movie has those things. But then it has, like, all these other ideas on top of it. It's like, well, they changed him from a teacher to a policeman from New York. Mm -hmm. And so it's like an investigation story it wants to be like a horror movie that pays homage to past horror movies that tim burton obviously really likes uh it's this complicated plot there's like this weird subplot with what's going on with ichabod's past and his childhood oh yeah that like i forget about every time i watch this movie and i'm like what the fuck is happening And then there's, like, another thing where they keep drawing... I think they really enjoyed that this movie was coming out in 1999. And they could set it in 1799 and have, like, a parallel about, like, the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. But, like, that, that's, like, so meaningless. They just thought it was amusing, it seemed to me. Right? Yeah. And they kept referencing it. And then the movie ends and, like, they're in New York City and he makes, like, a reference to the Bronx is up and the batteries down. And it's like, but why... What is, like, New York City and, like, that have to do with the themes of the movie? But they just, like, kept, like, adding all this shit in, and it just is too many things, you know?
1: Exactly. If, If you want to have a movie with a lot of complications, then you need to be focused on your storytelling. And that should be, like, the beauty of the movie. That, yeah, it's complicated, but you can follow it really yeah. well, like, um, like Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. how it's a complicated heist, not obviously not the Ocean's Eleven in 1960, <laughs> as we have covered that one before, um, but the Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney, you really understand what's happened. This movie had a complicated plot, and it was a lot of characters in the town to keep track of, but the movie put greater value on the aesthetic everything is gray and blue and dark, so it's hard to visually see what's going on. And it also put a lot of emphasis on the comedy of it. Like you're saying, like, he has this line to end the movie, like the Bronx is up and the battery's down, just like, ha, 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 ha. And it's like, but what's going on? You yeah,
0: know? like that is, that's literally the last line of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it has nothing to do with anything that we've seen and it doesn't like conclude any it's- themes or speak to any character development or anything like that the only thing that happens is like they're like oh this is the big conclusion they're in new york and it's the turn of the century and it's like what is like what is that about but yeah it's like it's a complicated plot it's got like all these like layered themes that like don't really make sense together and then more
1: ideas than themes yeah because there's no message yeah.
0: yeah there's no yeah i think well put and then the aesthetics of the movie are like very front and center in a way that I think like would work if yeah. there weren't so many other competing things
1: Exactly going on. If you wanted to make it just a scary or spooky, like dark aesthetic movie, then take out some of the extra complications. And if Johnny Depp's character's mom is gonna have been this witch who was put into an Iron Maiden by his father because his father was a reverend and then Have that be, okay, Christina Ricci's character, Katrina Van Tassel, is also a witch. Like, maybe have that mean something and not just be, like, all this extra stuff you're adding on.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And, like, that's not even to mention who did it, which is Miranda Richardson. Yeah,
1: Miranda Richardson did it. And she's barely on screen. And then they're
0: like, she's a witch. She and her twin sister saw the Headless Horseman get killed 20 years ago. And now she's 50 and they were 10 at the time so that doesn't make a lot of sense uh and now she's a witch and she's got a sister that's also a witch but she killed the sister it's like all revealed at the end and like it's like what yeah and it makes it honestly feel very long and the movie isn't Mm -hmm. that long it's like an hour and 45 minutes or maybe even less but every time i think about this movie i'm like this is like two and a half hours long but it's just because there are so many things that they have to get to. And to the movie's credit, it moves, like, very quickly. But I think that is to its detriment sometimes when it's like, well, you have a complicated plot. Like, we, we don't even have time to register when he thinks, like, oh, I figured it out. It's this cabal of, like, five men who did it. And then all of a sudden... It's not them, you know? We don't even have time to, like, think about that because it moves so quickly because it has to because if it didn't, it would be a 10-hour-long miniseries, you know?
1: Yeah. No, of course it doesn't register when he... I mean, as you say, it ends up being a red herring, but when he figures it out, it's like, oh, I found this last will and testament of this murder victim who was never a character, and he married this other murder victim who, again, died before Johnny Depp got to Sleepy Hollow... And this notary has it, and it's just like...
0: Well, they keep oh, showing the family tree of the entire town, <laughs> which is, like, cool because it's, it's like, shaped like a tree. Yeah, and it's, it's
1: cool that family Bibles used to be set up that way. It's, and
0: it's really, like, incestuous, and it's all these, like, Dutch <laughs> yeah. names, like, intermarrying, and, like, the Van Tessels, and uh, what was the other...
1: Who are the people who died before it started? The Van... Garretts, the Van Garretts. Yeah,
0: the Van Tassels and the Van Garretts like have intermarried and, and all this. But every time it shows the family tree, it shows it for like a second and a half. And so we don't as the audience, like it's impossible to figure out like what he's figuring out. Well, because that's out, not you know? how
1: Tim Burton's storytelling works. All he wants you to see on the family tree is the word Van Garrett really big and the word Van Tassel really big. The tree doesn't possess any information. Because that's just not how this mystery story is being written. It's not a trail of breadcrumbs for us to follow. Yeah. It's just, here's a fact. Here's a fact. Like
0: Yeah. I guess it it's unfortunate that it's presented as a mystery because it doesn't really work as a mystery. Yeah. I think it works as a horror movie, mm-hmm. but not not as a mystery and it's it's like really set up like that and there's like a whole conspiracy element and then a big reveal and a twist and all that stuff and that didn't need to that didn't need to be to be there or if it was there it needed to be fleshed out i think or rewritten somehow yeah. too many characters too much conspiracy not enough for the audience to actually like pick up on and follow
1: yeah but that being said tim burton's aesthetic Sometimes I really like it. Sometimes it's not my cup of tea. Sleepy Hollow for me is sort of like on the fence, but...
0: I like it. I thought it was cool. I was reading about it and uh, I think you can tell like he really wanted this movie to be an homage to like old horror movies Mm -hmm. that, that he had liked as a kid and especially I think the Hammer horror in particular it's like really obvious when they have Christopher Lee in like one of the first scenes yes. who's only there because he's Christopher Lee it's and he's just like cameo. I'm Christopher Lee and <laughs> like and he just like points at Johnny Depp and like says some stuff with like angel wings behind him or yeah Dracula wings or however or you statue, want to view it yeah. remember it is you Ichabod Crane
1: who is now put to the test
0: and he's in like you know this two minute scene, and it's like, "Oh, it's Christopher Lee, but that's like the vibe that they're going for, you know and mm-hmm. I think it's cool that like, oh, you know, I think he nailed the vibe, or like the windmill at the end, you know you can definitely mm-hmm. see it's like this is a weird looking like sound stagey kind of thing, and the whole movie kind of had that sound stagey vibe because that's what they were going for, um and I think they they really hit that very well,
1: yeah. I think all of those things are good aspects of his overall aesthetic. And I think for me, the parts that I really like in this movie are the dresses that Miranda Richardson and Christina Ricci wear. They're all like black and white. And just, I think that's another thing with the era that we're in, like right at the start of the 1800s or 1799, technically. Turn
0: of the century. Turn of the century,
1: right? Like having that big bustle on the back. It's just, he loves to have fun with clothes and especially um those two characters we get some fun outfits the other thing that i thought was really cool in the aesthetic for this movie was the hessian who i am sorry i didn't even mention he is played by christopher walken and played splendidly by christopher walken for not having dialogue he's just like it's a lot of that but they're like (laughs) there's like when they're describing who the Hessian was before he became the Headless Horseman. Um, And I love just throwing in a word like Hessian, you know, Hessian, Teutonic, these words that are like, you know, what do they even mean? Nobody uses them anymore. But um, they're like, the Hessian filed his teeth down so that he could, like, bite his victims and everything because he was, like, just this bloodthirsty mercenary. And his teeth being filed down like that into little points. I just think he's such a cool-looking scary figure it's almost a shame that he's a headless horseman because the way they did up his hair and his face is so terrifyingly cool
0: yeah and on that note uh just briefly when he is the headless horseman and it's not christopher walken it's ray park who played oh is that right yeah he's a stuntman slash actor played darth maul and uh some other i think he did oh, cool. toad in the x-men movie okay I think it's related to, you know, we don't actually need Christopher Walken, so we can have a guy who can do stunts, and, like, he does this cool, like, sword flip, which I thought was, like, really cool, um, like, every time it's actually him, you see him, like, flip his sword around his, his, uh, his hand, like a baton or something, yeah and that differentiates him from when Brahm is pretending to be the horseman, and, like, doesn't have that so you can always identify when it's like the real horseman just by that
1: wow okay yeah that makes so much sense great acting for both of their choices of headless horsemen both Christopher Walken and uh Ray Park Park. yeah yeah um but all that being said I think for me where the aesthetic loses me is just the overall palette of the movie being all blues and grays it makes I think that adds to the complication for me it's hard to
0: and there is It it does emphasize the red when there's either blood or I think the movie opens with someone dripping wax onto um, oh, yeah, onto Van Garrett's will, it's, yeah. but it's supposed to look like blood. And then there's like a scene where Johnny Depp is hacking into this what the Tree of the Dead <laughs> yeah, or the whatever, tree of the dead, yeah. and he's like taking like a small axe and like being like holding it daintily away from him because the whole. Like, there's also, like, this thing where Johnny Depp's character is supposed to be, like, afraid of blood and afraid of basically everything, and...
1: Um, I wrote down his character traits for this podcast, and I said he has a weak stomach.
0: Yeah, he's got a weak stomach. So he takes this axe, and he's, like, hacking away into this tree, and it's, like, squirting blood, and we were laughing that there's probably some guy on set... (laughs)
1: Yeah, just on the other side of the camera.
0: (laughs) Yeah, his job or her job is just squirt Johnny Depp with blood as he hacks into this tree which is hilarious and they do a great job and he just gets blood all over his face as he's like hacking into it it's it's pretty funny
1: yeah all right well let's actually can we talk about the characterization of Ichabod in both both movies because Mm -hmm. I think they're quite different not having read the short story but hearing your comments about it it sounds like the Disney cartoon was more faithful to the Ichabod of the story
0: yeah i mean i think he wasn't super fleshed out in the story you know it's this outsider who comes to town and clearly likes the idea of being an important person in town Mm -hmm. and that gets him in with the ladies which he also likes and if he can get katrina to like him and if he can convince katrina to marry him Then he gets the most beautiful woman in town and her immense fortune. And it's unclear in the story, which he cares about more, you know. It's quite clear in the cartoon. These things go hand in hand. But yeah, in the cartoon, he's like daydreaming about it. And like he starts daydreaming about Katrina as a person, but it quickly just turns into, oh, I'll be so rich, right?
1: (laughs) Everything starts turning into money all around him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very funny scene that we get of him like in the schoolhouse uh, daydreaming about this and all the kids are going wild and we're like, why are they going wild? Like he's there. And then it reveals that he has just set his gloves up with a book to look like he's reading at his desk and he's like really behind his desk just daydreaming about marrying Katrina and inheriting all her wealth.
1: Yeah. Well, and I thought that was an interesting character trait for the main character of a story, just to be such a clear gold digger. Let me see what I put. I put gold digger down as a character trait for for the Disney version. I said that he's also awkward looking, obviously, but still charming and also very superstitious. And I like that the movie established that very early on about him. He won't walk under the ladder. He won't let the black cat cross his path yeah so visually you're processing these things it's like, all visually is a superstitious right guy. like i don't
0: think even the narrator said anything about that but that was during like his yeah. introduction song they showed him and specifically doing those things
1: exactly and that that comes in when brahm has now recognized him as a romantic rival he's like well he's a superstitious guy so that means i'm sure i can sh- scare him with this story mm-hmm. um so i thought it was very well designed in the story to give that as part of who he is as a character. Um, but then he's just a completely different character in the the 1999 version. Johnny Depp's Ichabod Crane is scientifically minded but also <laughs> I would describe it as like a B-tier Sherlock. Like he mm-hmm. really sucks at investigating which I think partly adds to the fact that as we said, this is not a mystery story you're meant to solve because Ichabod isn't even really solving it. And then also, like, he's anti-establishment. Obviously, he has that trauma of his past that his his mother was killed by the religious and political leadership of his town. Um, and then also
0: just... Well, it was his dad, right?
1: Yeah, it was his dad. Um, but he put her in an Iron Maiden. So I think he took her to court and had her sentenced like as a witch. Yeah. And then I think it's just for humor that they were also like, let's have him be this weak stomached guy who can't handle the sight of blood while he's doing a murder investigation. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I can accept that as a character trait as well.
0: But where did the idea come from to like turn him into, because it's not just that he's a policeman. It's like he has all these newfangled ideas about the science of detective work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess it's pre DNA, but, uh, similar to, like, you know, looking at fingerprints. And there's, like, a joke scene where one person gets beheaded and he shows up this scene and he's like, Did you move the body? You have moved the body? I did. You must never move the body. Why not? Because.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which is pretty funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But, like, the idea that he's this ahead-of-his-time investigator, it really just comes to nothing because, in the end, it is a supernatural thing and none of like the detective work science that he does really matters at all and even the like deductions that he does the like sherlocking mm-hmm. that's wrong too so it doesn't matter at all
1: yeah well a lot of the time it is i mean there's some things he figures out like um i think the only time it really matters is miranda richardsons character uh lady van tassel had killed the maid and passed off the maid's body as her own body. She, like, faked her own death. He does figure that out. And he's like, wait a minute, the wound on her hand was clearly done after After the person was dead. Um, Which apparently he was able to see while riding by in a carriage, but whatever, we will accept that. But
0: that was, I thought that was the most well done of all the, like, the detective clue scenes, because you see him riding away, and you know that he's not really going to leave town... Uh, and he sees this and he's got like this expression on his face like oh that was just a clue which tells us there was something odd about that so it gets us to start thinking about like what could have been odd about that so I could totally see someone figuring out like oh that did look weird right but that was the only time that that actually that that happened everything else was like we're gonna flash you this picture of this thing and then we're just gonna tell you what happened
1: yeah you know you're right it is satisfying that at the end Ichabod figures it out and he figures it out using his police and scientific deduction that, like, he's cared about so much for this whole movie, but which haven't really helped him at all.
0: Yeah, and actually, like, get him made fun of all the time. They're always telling him, like, you really suck at this and you should leave, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I, I just always think it's interesting when we watch two versions of the same story, but they can make a central, or in this case, even a main character into two totally different versions of the person. I think when it comes to the characterization of Ichabod, I do have a preference for Johnny Depp's Ichabod, even with some of the faults of the the story and his character being kind of silly. I just think he delivers some of those Ichabod moments really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the character traits of the Disney version make me like the character very much. So, but I don't know, what do you think of the two different ichabod versions
0: yeah no i i, th- I think you're right i l- i loved uh when johnny depp sees the horseman for the first time and then he basically <laughs> passes out and he wakes yeah. up and they're they're surrounding him and they're like oh you saw the horseman and he's like it was a horseman it was a headless horseman <laughs> and they're like we know it was a headless horseman you must not excite yourself but it was a headless horseman of course it was that's why you're here no you must believe me it was a horseman a dead
1: one headless I know, I know. You don't know because you were not there. It's all true. Well,
0: of course it is. I told you. Everyone told you.
1: Yeah, Michael Gambon playing the straight man in that scene. Is oh, he so was good. so
0: good. Yeah, he was great. Um, yeah, Michael Gambon was great in those scenes. Uh, but Johnny Depp was also great. And I think playing yes. like the terror and like like the conflict between someone who is supposed to be a man of science. Exactly, yeah head to head with something that is so clearly supernatural like the headless horseman was it was played for comedy but also i think it was really well done but you know i think uh obviously the ichabod from the disney version i think is closer to what the story version of the character was that doesn't make him a better character johnny depp is certainly more fleshed out but i think like the movie itself, he's being pulled in like so many directions. Exactly, yeah. That it's hard to really figure out what he's about. And there's like some stupid lines. You know, I think the the heart of the movie is supposed to be like his relationship with Katrina, you know?
1: hmm Even though there's not a lot to there's not a lot care there. about that movie. Uh, yeah. to care about that relationship, I mean I
0: mean I really liked Christina Ricci. I thought she was good but their relationship was just very silly and it it had very silly lines. But perhaps there's a bit of a witch in you, Katrina. Why do you say that? Because you've bewitched me. it's like, what? Like, (laughs) A, she is a witch, you know? (laughs) It just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. I love
1: the cheese of their romantic lines, though, because that one I love, and then there's... The part where she's like, Will you take nothing from Sleepy Hollow that was worth the coming here?
0: No. No, not nothing. A kiss from a lovely young woman
1: before she saw my face on knew my name. And she's like, Oh, yes, you love her. But it's so silly because there's no reason why we should believe their relationship. Yes.
0: Without sense or reason
1: will work out. You know? Yeah, it's
0: also weird because the older I get, the more that she looks like a
1: middle a schooler.
0: Yeah. And he looks like an adult man, you know? Oh,
1: really? I I mean, this is young Johnny Depp. It is, movie. but he's
0: like, he, I mean, he's younger than I am now, but he's still like an adult and she's like a child. And mm-hmm. I think that difference just gets more stark.
1: All right, we have one final point of comparison that we wanted to talk about and that is that, well, at least in my opinion, David, both of these movies veer toward comedy, despite being a spooky story. Uh, I think, obviously, different styles of comedy. You have classic cartoon comedic moments in the Disney version, very slapstick, very visual humor. And then in the 1999 version, a lot of character comedy, like you were just talking about the scene where Ichabod is having to process that he's seen the Headless Horseman and he's like, Headless! I saw it! Right? And just those funny moments. And
0: when they find the witch in the woods and he's like, I should like to say
1: that I I make no assumptions about your occupation. No, your ways, witch. Witch!
0: Witch! Witch! are nothing to me. Whatever you are, each to his own. And he just says (laughs) witch like 800 times.
1: Yeah, so very different types of comedy. I really like both versions, both like sort of styles of of comedy, but I'm wondering why they both went in that direction. Is there something about the story that lends itself to comedy? Is that just something where when you're not trying to make a straight-up horror movie, you're going to add comedic elements? What's going on here?
0: I think that horror or telling a scary story isn't that different from comedy. Like, it's about, Mm -hmm. you know, being surprised and being, like, doing things that are unexpected. And I think in every horror movie, you always have the first 20 minutes of the movie where, like, nothing bad actually happens. Oh, like, there's going to be a jump scare, and then she turns around, and it's her husband. Yeah. And he's just saying, I love you, you know? (laughs) And, like, they always do that as, like, relieving the tension, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that both scary stories and funny stories that's kind of what they're going for is like relieving the tension of a either a scene or a scenario or something like that so i think that they kind of go hand in hand but every horror movie at least that i've seen has like funny things in it or for the most part Mm -hmm. right i can't think of a horror movie that doesn't have at least some comedic elements and i think that is meant to you know keep you in tension over like You know, is this real or is this going to be like something that we can laugh about later? Right? Because those are the same thing until you find out which it is.
1: No, I think you're right. I think it is that that tension and then comedy providing the release.
0: Like we just watched the Blair Witch Project and, you know, it's supposed to be...
1: We've been talking about it for weeks. (laughs) We have been
0: talking about it for weeks. But it's supposed to be like, you know, it's it's obviously very scary and it's a horror movie, right? But it's supposed to be shot in like a realistic way. And so you see all these characters who are going through, like, every night, like, something horrifying or scary, like, happens. And then during the day, they're just, like, lapping it off. They're like, that was something that last night we dealt with. But, like, today, like, it's a new day. Until you get later into the film and they're, like, just horrified the entire time. Right?
1: Do the the characters themselves, because, like, I find things, like, when the guy's like, I kicked the map into the river. Right? That's... That makes me laugh because it's like he was laughing, <laughs> you idiot. But that was but the scary. the characters they almost start brawling over that. So, but I guess that that could be considered comedic, maybe.
0: Well, I think like right before that they were laughing about something else, and
1: all right, yeah. There's one point where the guy asks the girl, "What do you like to do?" Like, I guess because they don't know each other very well, and they're trying to break their fear. And she's like, well, I used to like hiking. <laughs> that's, you know,
0: you know, it's it's like the way that I think people laugh when they're uncomfortable, you mm-hmm. know, and they laugh in all kinds of inappropriate situations. We're looking for a funny explanation for things because the scary explanation is too scary. And I think that's literally mm-hmm. true in like the Disney version when where you're talking about the uh,
1: the cattails.
0: The cattails are making the sound of um, of the horseman's hooves, right? The horseman's horse's hooves. And he's like relieved, you know. Oh, that's funny. I thought that it was scary, but it's actually just funny. Yeah. You know, and things like that. I don't think it's wild that two scary stories or two adaptations of the scary story would have comedy as
1: Yeah. No, I like that that analysis. And I feel like I was understanding that but not quite putting it into words, so I like the way you explained it. Did you have a preference in terms of what style of comedy you prefer because I might actually prefer the Disney version myself.
0: I like both. I mean, I love Disney style, especially like the physical comedy. Yeah, the you goofiness. Know, like the imagery of of him like walking. There's like one scene in particular where Brom gets mad at him and he keeps trying to beat him up. Mm-hmm. And Ichabod like... Oh, when they're like,
1: leaving Katrina's house and yeah. Ichabod just keeps dodging it, but not even like... He's not bobbing and weaving. He's just, like, walking, doing his thing, and Brom just keeps missing.
0: Well, no, he's, like, he's aware of what he's doing, Mm -hmm. but, like, he's very clumsily executing his, you know, his dodges, and he's sort of getting away with it. Yeah. But because it's, like, a cartoon, it can be really exaggerated, and I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I also thought it was really funny. I I thought, like, the Johnny Depp... I thought that version was really funny, too, and the conversations that we talked about it's really only like a handful of things in the movie that are explicitly funny
1: yeah do you have anything else you want to get into before we pass our final judgment
0: okay can we talk about brahm for a second because i think he's really the only other character in this i mean katrina in the disney version is not much of a character and i don't think says anything is that correct right i don't know she's
1: there's so little dialogue in the Disney version, there it's hard is. to remember.
0: But she's definitely an object to Ichabod, whether mm-hmm. he likes her because of the way she looks or because of how much money she might inherit. He's not thinking of her like really as a person. And I thought, like I said, Christina Ricci did a great job as Katrina in uh, the Johnny Depp version of the movie, the Tim Burton version. But in both movies, Brom Bones is a major character. Right, the fiancé
1: of Katrina. I think they're just,
0: I don't even think they're, like, together. I think he's just a rival Mm -hmm. suitor. The short story and the Disney version go out of their way to say, like, this isn't a bad person. You know, he's not, like, fucking with Ichabod in a mean-spirited way. He's like a prankster. And the Disney version shows him, like, pranking his friends, right? And though Brom was much given to madcap pranks, Practical jokes? Well, there was no malice in his mischief. Indeed, with his waggish humor and prodigious strength, Rob Bones was quite the hero of all the country running. This person likes pranking people, but it's not mean-spirited, and he'll make it up to you after. And so I think in the short story, where it's heavily implied he's pranking Ichabod by terrorizing him with the story and then with pretending to be the headless horseman that it's like he was never going to actually like hurt him or anything Mm -hmm. like that and i think in the disney movie he never actually hurts him or anything and in the tim burton movie i feel like they came at it with like a respect for for that character too where he does prank ichabod and throws the pumpkin at him but then later, like they're fighting like side by side, and like he acquits himself. I think you know he yeah. he's like a very honorable character. You yeah,
1: know? Ichabod and Brahm in the 1999 version, in which Brahm is played by Casper Van Deen, they are clearly like just not compatible, even though they're on the same side. Like they're fighting the headless horseman, and Ichabod is trying to say he's not after us. Just stop fighting him, mm-hmm. and Bram. Is single-minded and this person is a threat so I need to stop the threat so I'm gonna keep fighting him and ultimately the Headless Horseman kills Brahm in in the 1999 version as a result of that fight because Brahm wouldn't let him go I agree with what you're saying that Brahm's just like a fine person yeah. you know and he approached the problem differently than Ichabod unfortunately in the 1999 version it led to his demise yeah. But and you I can respect I
0: f- it. I feel like he was so perfectly cast. Like, in that era, he was kind of a high school jock kind of character. That's kind of who Brahm is. Brahm is sort of a prototypical high school jock character. But I also wonder if they just cast him because he has a Dutch name. <laughs> but he was great. I thought he was great. But I think it's, you know, it's an interesting character. And uh, in a story outside of the. Tim Burton movie that doesn't really have a villain. Like, nobody's really doing anything wrong here, you know? Yeah. Like, Ichabod is kind of being a jerk for liking Katrina for the wrong reasons, maybe. Brahm is kind of a jerk because he also likes Katrina, maybe for the wrong reasons, but we don't really know. Mm -hmm. And then being a little bit mean to Ichabod, but not in like a terrible way. Like, if Ichabod had stuck around town, and been like, Brahm, I know you did it. Brahm probably would have bought him a beer or something like that. Yeah. And they would have laughed about it.
1: I can see that. I believe that as Brahm's character. And it's cool that Ichabod can be so different in both these movies, but Brahm sounds like Brahm is Brahm, and both versions faithful to the original story, too.
0: Not being a villain, even though he is totally the villain of the story, right?
1: It's almost too bad that we don't get more of him in the 1999 version because Mm -hmm. that movie's so crowded with the five powdered wigged men who don't matter. Yeah, it really is.
0: Three important characters. If there's only three, you should get them all good screen time. Mm
1: -hmm. I think the only actor we haven't talked about who we probably should is mark pickering in the 1999 version again this is a new character created for tim burton's story young masbeth uh his father is one of the early victims and so he's i don't know like 15 years old and he ends up just being ichabod's assistant throughout the movie and as far as kid actors go I think he contributes to each scene he's in, yeah.
0: I thought he was great and uh, towed the line between, you know, very dedicated but also scared, you know. But less scared than Ichabod himself. Uh, And
1: similarly, he's, like, respectful of Ichabod but also recognizes when Ichabod is just being absurd. Silly, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I thought it was kind of a... I don't want to say subtle because, like, the movie wasn't very subtle. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that kind of thing. He was playing against... Johnny Depp, yeah. who is not subtle and I think he is doing like a lot. I thought it was good. I don't yeah. know. I yeah. don't know. I thought He's he good. was really good. He's good. Having a child sidekick is like a thing. Um and it doesn't always turn out very well.
1: No, it does not.
0: But I, I thought he was very good and to the point that I was like Did this guy become famous when he he grew up? I don't think he did. That's too bad. Mark Pickering? Pickering. I can look it up. I don't know. You want me to look it up? Sure. He's probably on a TV show. He's probably on like Succession or something like that. I
1: think that's success, you know? Steady income. Everybody who watches it knows who you are. Well,
0: let's see. He is on TV. I nailed that. So I guess he did uh, become successful. He was on Boardwalk Empire and Borgia and a few other few other shows. TV Maybe shows not as we like watch. TV shows <laughs> we don't watch. Bad. Maybe not as a main character, but as uh, you know, it seems you like he's steady got work. steady work on TV as like a character well, actor yeah. on uh, on British shows. But yeah, I thought he was he was very good.
1: All right, having gone over the similarities and the differences and giving discussion to Mark Pickering because there was no other time to really talk about him, but we felt, you know, we should recognize his child acting. Um, I think it's time for us to make our decision.
0: In many ways, the work of a critic is easy.
1: We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and themselves to our judgment. David, did you like the Disney version or the Tim Burton version better?
0: I guess I would say the Tim Burton version, and I'll tell you why. Tell me. Because even though we're talking about this as if it's an adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Mm -hmm. Washington Irving, we can't ignore that Disney's version was packaged as an anthology with another Mm -hmm. feature. And whether or not you liked that feature... Which was based on *The Wind in the Willows*, which I haven't read. That does change like the way that you see it. Would you? I mean, literally, it changes the way that you see it. (laughs) Yeah. Because if you want to watch the Ichabod Crane story, you have to either watch *The Wind in the Willows* or fast forward all the way through Mm it.
1: Well, Disney did later release. First of all, played it on television separately Mm -hmm. and released them as separate VHSs, I believe.
0: But we're talking about movies.
1: So in your mind you can't separate him from Mr. Toad?
0: Yeah, I think if you're talking about like a movie, you mm-hmm. know, those are the movies, the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad.
1: I mean, I think it's interesting that this is also basically the last anthology that Disney ever did. But this is the last of like that era of Disney. Um you've got the ones like the three caballeros. Fun and Fancy Free Melody Time. Which I also think is interesting because these have had a lot of staying power in the cultural consciousness. Like, I've heard of all of these, even though I've never seen any of them. Which does lead to some confusion. Like, I thought that Mr. Toad was in the Sleepy Hollow story. I didn't realize, actually, that this was an anthology. I also
0: didn't realize like, what is Wind in the Willows about? Is that the the book?
1: I have no idea, but it's weird. I would have no patience for Mr. Toad.
0: (laughs) Just to be clear, and if you haven't seen it, the first half of this anthology is about the wind in the willows. Mr. Toad is a frog who I guess is rich and he goes on these like little adventures because he has money and he gets yeah. carried away with everything and he gets obsessed with driving and tries to buy a car and is accused of stealing the car and half of the movie is him in prison and then escaping from prison. <laughs> I was like, I thought the wind in the willows was about like animals in the countryside. Yeah, me too. I, like, I guess I have no idea what that was about.
1: I don't know, but I thought Mr. Toad is I thought his horse friend was hilarious, and when he became obsessed with cars, and he started just going Zero. like...
0: Cyril. That was so
1: funny. I don't... Already established, sucker for cartoon comedy. <laughs> I thought I thought it was pretty funny. But I also disagree with you, David, because I think, I think you can definitely separate Mr. Toad from the Ichabod Crane story. And I think we really need to compare, like, Ichabod Crane by Disney and Sleepy Hollow by Tim Burton and only view those two stories when we're evaluating here. Would you still say 1999, Tim Burton?
0: I, th- I don't think those things can be separated. Because to me, that's like saying, let's only look at the 1999 version for the first third of the movie that actually follows, like, the Sleepy Hollow mm-hmm. story. Like, if it's packaged as a movie, it doesn't matter what came later. You know, that, like, later they separated it. But this was released in theaters as a movie, as the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm -hmm. So, like, we don't need to focus on that, but, like, I don't think we can ignore it either.
1: I just think, as far as the the exercise of evaluating them, it doesn't make sense to even consider Mr. Toad. But I I guess I see. I think it's
0: a minor consideration. For the purpose of this podcast, that's not most of what we're talking about. But it, I don't want to ignore it either, you yeah.
1: know? No, that makes sense. I have seen Sleepy Hollow by Tim Burton many times. Um, I was a big up fan fangirl growing up. This viewing, I felt frustrated by it. And a lot of the comedy bits didn't land as well for me because I've seen them so many times before in so many different iterations of Johnny Depp characters too. It is with reservations that I'm gonna say I like the Tim Burton version better. Mhm. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. You're right. But, you know, obviously, that's the obvious answer. Like I can enjoy cartoons a lot, but if you're watching a cartoon from the 1940s, like it's just not gonna stand up to something from the 90s.
0: Well, I wouldn't put it that way. Being packaged the way it is, as like a 45 minute... Is it even that long? Yeah. It might be like half an hour, 35 minutes. As essentially just a quick cartoon along the lines of Looney Tunes or whatever. That's just different from the way that we experience a feature film like Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, because actually it would be... It would feel absurd for us to do a two-for-one about a Disney short. Right? Which is like a whole thing nowadays. But that's basically what the Ichabod Crane mm-hmm. story is, is a Disney
0: short. Yeah. You know? And I agree with you. I am always frustrated by this movie. Like I said, I've seen this movie probably four times now. Mm-hmm. And every time I think it's going to be really long. And it's, it's not that long. But even this, we watched it in two parts. It feels very long. It feels like there's so many things going on that you're trying to follow it. And none of it, like almost none of it, actually matters in the end it could have been like a pure thing and it ends up being this convoluted mess that has like a really cool aesthetic and like Johnny Depp is great and Christina Ricci is great and Christopher Walken is just going which like (laughs) everybody loves you know yeah that everybody's great in the movie and the aesthetic of the movie is great and it's just the writing of the movie I think and maybe Tim Burton I don't know why like he had been around long enough that he should have been able to be like you know, let's pull back Oh, but and let's, <laughs> let's cut. But I don't know why he couldn't that's do that. That's
1: never been the lesson Tim Burton has learned, though, so...
0: I don't know. I mean, I think, like...
1: What about when he got his hands on Alice in Wonderland? And he's well, like, let me just make this absurd and... Oh, my God.
0: Well, but that's, like, aesthetically... Going all out. But
1: storytelling as well. Is the ridiculous, like... I mean, and I don't know... I that.
0: honestly don't remember those movies. I know we watched them.
1: I know. Well, we didn't. We only watched the first one, and we hated it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was a lot going the on. The problem with Alice
1: right. in Wonderland, to be fair, is that the source material is ridiculous. So I don't even know if the stupid stuff that he added in is actually being more faithful to But that's to the, the kind book. of
0: shit that Tim Burton loves, though. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I'm just thinking about, like, in Batman... I feel like Batman is a concise... Like, even mm-hmm. if it's, like, extravagant at times, the plot itself does not meander, you know? But he
1: also did Batman Returns, which you
0: don't care for. I don't like the aesthetics of that movie. But mm-hmm. I think, like, plot-wise, it's it's decent. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I, I don't think those movies go wild. Or, you know, uh, Nightmare right. Before Christmas. Or he made
1: Big Fish, which is one of my favorite movies. And
0: Right, but, like... Well, I mean, that's a movie about storytelling, mm-hmm. which is a whole thing <laughs> that directors obviously love. It's telling a single story all the way through. It's the story yeah. of like a man and then secondarily his relationship with his family through a series of stories that aren't otherwise connected. But right. I think it is very coherent. But that came out after Sleepy Hollow.
1: But just to say that...
0: That he knows how to make a story that's easy to follow, and that you can cut these things from the story and still have the aesthetic that we know you want, Tim Burton, you know?
1: You know what I'm surprised we haven't compared it to is um, Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Sweeney Todd, because that's Johnny Depp again. We sub in Helen Bottom Carter. Shout out to Steven. But similar sort of vibe in terms of era and urban. I think it's...
0: I think it's a similar vibe, but I think it's just because it's Tim Burton.
1: Well, do you think he made a better movie with Sweeney Todd? Because it, a lot of I things hated are similar. Sweeney Todd. You hated Sweeney Todd?
0: Yeah, I hated it. I hated it.
1: I mean, I can understand hating it. I feel like I can't argue for that movie, but I enjoy it. And I think part of the reason I enjoy it is just because it's a musical. And I like musicals. All right, so having said, the 1999 version is our reluctant favorite. We need to talk about what we would do if we were to make this movie ourselves.
0: I've got the most
1: scathingly brilliant idea.
0: The Disney version consciously pairs this with a British story. They call attention to the fact that Wind of the Willows is British, and then Bing Crosby says... Well, here in America, we can do it just as well. And I think it's really cool that we can have um, a folklore story that has stood the test of time. And, you know, it's such a, a cool visual, the idea of the Headless Horseman, mm-hmm. that I think people don't even know necessarily what that's from. Yeah. Or, you know, might have a general idea because they've seen the Johnny Depp movie or something like that, but don't know the short story it's from. So it's almost as if, like writing it down, Washington Irving turned it into folklore. But it's also we haven't had a war in New York since the Revolutionary War, and it's cool to have this thing that's set in like a very important in a very important historical event for the United States. That's not the Civil War and comes along with all mm-hmm. that like nonsense or like, you know, Southern cultural baggage mm-hmm. that yeah, we don't want to really get into. You know, it's, it's really cool. And it's really cool that we can have a movie made in 1999 that expands on that in interesting ways, even if it doesn't all work. A community that is separated from the big city, both ethnically and geographically and culturally is something that still matters and it's still interesting to have. And to have, you know, how, how does this community treat someone like Ichabod? Mm-hmm. I think that's still relevant. And then to have that tie in with the Revolutionary War, I think it's, you know, it's, it's just a cool and interesting idea. And for the Headless Horseman to still be a visual that I think everybody understands. I think that's impressive for a story that we know exactly when it was invented. It's still, you know, a ghost story that that we can tell ourselves.
1: I think as far as it having staying power, it certainly helps that it is a great image for an annual holiday. So I think just mm-hmm. getting tied in with Halloween and jack-o'-lanterns is part of why it's an enduring story. Um, cause yeah, I mean, we have American folklore, you know, but it's not like we have an annual event to think about Paul Bunyan or John Henry, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I, I like the themes that you're pulling out, especially like this Dutch enclave outside of the big city and how they would treat someone. And especially if there's a supernatural element, like would they be on the side of the interloper? Mm -hmm. ichabod so but i don't know if those themes have been fully explored in these movies Would you want that to be more explicit in a remake of sleepy hollow
0: no i think it should be the subtext subtext i think the disney version did a good job of i mean really just directly adapting the short story and doing something simple and quick and doing it well I think maybe you could hit those themes a little harder. There are things that the Tim Burton movie does really well in that aspect of like the tension between Johnny Depp and well, his Ichabod Crane and uh, the people of the town because he's telling the magistrate, he says, You, a magistrate, and you believe this nonsense, like a second before he's like beheaded by the Mm horseman. And then for the rest of the movie, they're all like, You should go back to New York. And even Katrina tells him, like, go back to New York, you know? And I think there is tension between Ichabod and the people in this town just because he's an outsider.
1: Yeah, it definitely comes across as an urban-rural sort of
0: divide. Exactly. And maybe that's, like, what they were going for when they emphasized all the New York stuff and the Mm -hmm. the turn-of-the-century stuff. I don't think it quite landed. But I do think that, yeah, like, exploring that... I wouldn't make it like the first theme of the movie. I think like do this movie as either a horror movie like Sleepy Hollow is trying to be or um, maybe something more surreal but still unsettling. Mm -hmm. Just have that as like the subtext.
1: Yeah, I think what is coming to mind with what you're saying is like the issue of trust. It could be more a question of can Ichabod trust anyone in this town? Mm -hmm. And, like, can Katrina trust Ichabod? It's not that it doesn't exist in the 1999 version, but it's not solid.
0: Or, I mean, to go back to the Blair Witch Project, which I understand we've referenced at least a couple times in this podcast, (laughs) but I don't watch a lot of horror movies, so, like, you just gotta bear with me. But the way that the place that they go is so important in, in that movie... And you understand that the place itself has like a power and that just by being what it is, it is distant and different from where the people who are going there come from. Sleepy Hollow, like the name itself tells you, this is like a different place. This isn't New York. This isn't anywhere that you know. This is something, this is a place that... Maybe time passes differently here. You know, like, the air feels different here. Yeah, like what you said. Can you trust what you're seeing? Can you trust the people here? Like, are they really part of your world in the same sense that, like, everybody back in New York was living in the same world? And I think that there are surrealist aspects to that that you could really accentuate in film that I don't think either of these movies really got into. I think you could say that Tim Burton's version was a little bit... I wouldn't say surrealist but like aesthetically heightened but the same aesthetic was applied to the new york city scenes and the sleepy hollow scenes and the scenes where he was traveling between them so you don't really get a sense that this is like a different place that this is somewhere that ichabod would be unsettled just by just by being there but i think if you did do that that would reflect the way that the main character is not part of that world right visually everything else just of a different world will never fit in here will never be Mm -hmm. will never be able to look at you comfortably on this set
1: alright yeah yeah so I think that can be best explored with what we were saying earlier focus on the three characters Katrina, Ichabod, and Brahm Get rid of the cabal of old men, right? And so, if you're remaking this movie, explore that. Like, Katrina's maybe attracted to Ichabod's difference, and Brahm is feeling rebuffed by it. And why is that? And then there's this supernatural element, which I think, as you were saying, like, if you're gonna go for an aesthetic, isolate it to those supernatural moments to make those special, mm-hmm. right? Not isolate it entirely, but heighten it, certainly. Yeah, no, I understand. Actually then making it be a question of is something actually happening or has Brom been pushed to this point to scare Ichabod? That brings in an element of trust between the movie and the viewer Mm -hmm. of like what's actually going on because I'm seeing clues that this could just be Brom but also this is very scary, you know?
0: Well, I think there is like there is a horror to being different, like to being, to knowing that you're different and knowing that other people are treating you a certain way or to knowing that like you can't trust people. And I guess now what you just said, that reminded me of Ishiguro's book a few books ago, the buried giant, which is set in Britain when there are, I think like Saxon settlers and there are Britain settlers and they all live in different settlements. And There's sort of, like, a haze has descended upon the whole country. People can't really travel, and, like, they're forgetting everything. Every interaction that they have is, like, a little bit unsettling. And I think that there's this, like, undercurrent of mistrust between almost everybody. Am I feeling this mistrust because I'm different, because you're different, because... Everybody mistrusts everybody because it's just a scary time. Like, that's just a, like a really unsettling feeling. And I think it could be done with a similar aesthetic to Tim Burton's movie.
1: Yeah, I would say if we're going to talk specifics of actors or directors, I want Tim Burton to do it again, but like do it correctly. But I feel that <laughs> way about so many Tim Burton movies where I'm like, man, I love so much, but this is nonsense try again. I know, know? But he's actually, he's not the guy for the job, because he does what he does, you know? And I just, I don't know if we have, I don't know, can you think of anyone who does Tim Burton without going all Tim Burton on it?
0: No, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking of, like, surrealist directors, like, people that I hate, (laughs) that I don't even want to mention. I know,
1: I was surprised that you even mentioned surrealism, because generally that's something that puts you off in movies. I guess, like...
0: (sighs) There's, there's kind of a fine line between a heightened aesthetic and surrealism, yeah. right? And I want it to be, I guess, on the aesthetic side of that line. Gotcha. And not mm-hmm. crossover into surrealism. But I don't know how far you can push it with, like, what Tim Burton was going for. So, yeah, I agree with you that I'm like, Tim Burton, I want you to be better at doing this, <laughs> yeah. you know? But I also, yeah, I agree that he's not necessarily the right person for the job because he's not yeah. better at doing this and i don't know who could do it without going over into a totally surreal movie yeah. like the green knight you know we watched that uh-huh. recently that wasn't the most surreal movie we have ever seen but it was on that side of the line i think right mm-hmm. and it was an interesting movie it was okay you know yeah. but i no, would I want think a,
1: a green knight vibe could actually fit this story pretty well yeah, who directed The Green Knight?
0: It was directed uh and written by David Lowry. Um and for those people that haven't seen it, it starred Deb Patel as as Gotwin or Garwin as they say in the Garwin. movie. Garwin. Young, Young Garwin. Garwin. <laughs> um, it was okay. I mean I love King Arthur and uh I I love I love those stories. It was a little too much for me, how stylized it was, because they kept going back in time showing you something but then it wouldn't be real it would just Mm -hmm. be like a fantasy or like a fear or something which i understand you know but that's surrealism and i movies are inherently surreal and we don't need to add those elements to it but i think like something like that
1: yeah that's that's the right vibe for sleepy hollow for sure
0: yeah i think like the green knight doesn't need to be as unsettling as that movie was but Sleepy Hollow does need to be yeah that unsettling yeah, because, I mean, the, the climax of the story and of the Disney movie is not knowing whether your fears are Yeah, is this justified. really happening? And that's, that's what surrealism is, you know? It's like, is this thing real or is it not real, right? Yeah. And that's why it's funny when we see the clip-clop of the horse mm-hmm. was not that.
1: But then you turn around, and he's
0: actually there. Right. So, yeah. Like, it's it's both funny and scary. Yeah. And so I think, like, a little bit more to the surreal side could yeah. have accomplished that.
1: There's one more thing that I would want <clears throat> to hold on to from Tim Burton's version. And let me say also, I think Tim Burton gets a lot of hate, and a lot of it is justified, but I do love Tim Burton, and I think he's a great
0: director.
1: Um, but the other thing that I would want to keep from Sleepy Hollow is... The Hessian horseman. I know they added in a lot of stuff and it was too much and too complicated. Having there be this legend of why there's a headless horseman, first of all, I think links it to that place. It's like, oh, it was this mercenary who was killed in our woods. He's the person who haunts us. Like that anchors it to the town. And then also the whole look of the, the headless horseman. Was excellent in Sleepy Hollow. Can um, I
0: blow your mind? I can't lose that. Yes. The Hessian was part of the original.
1: What? So, yeah. Really? Okay, great. I wonder—is it in the Disney version and just like a lyric in the song that maybe I didn't? Not pick up sure. On?
0: Yeah, I don't remember because that mentioned. was a big thing
1: in the Revolutionary War was German mercenaries, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it would make sense in that era to be like, and that's again with outsider stuff. Exactly. Were they just these bloodthirsty ghouls who are going to become? this headless horseman who will haunt us forever. Yeah. Wow. And
0: on top of that, we don't really know whether Sleepy Hollow was a patriot town or a loyalist town. And, like, who are they thinking of as outsiders? Right. We just don't know. And it adds to the mystery of of what's going on. I think that's a good point. That it. it is this other version of outsider coming in, becoming a part of, like our legend because we understood him to be an outsider at the time
1: who david i gotta admit i've gotten like the shivers a couple times in this discussion because we're not big horror people and some of these moments especially when we mentioned blair witch project i just start getting scared again but i enjoyed this discussion uh do you have any last last thoughts or anything i'm happy with our what we feel A new version would need to you know
0: i think we outlined a pretty good version of what what it would be yeah now the only thing i i I wanted to mention uh we talked about during the movie in the disney version they paired these stories and they kind of had like british versus american competition Mm -hmm. and then offhandedly they mentioned like there are other great stories too there's like king arthur there's robin hood there's sherlock holmes they made all those movies, so I wonder if, like, Walt Disney was just like, we better make these movies. <laughs> and if we don't, you better put them in this Sleepy Hollow thing, right. you know? I, I wonder, like, because they made them all, they right? They did, and
1: pretty early in Disney's history, too. You know, Robin Hood, Well, Sword in the Stone, Stone
0: came out, like, five years after this, I mm-hmm. think. And Robin Hood came out less than ten years after this. And the Sherlock Holmes was... Well, the Great Mouse Detective.
1: Oh, I've never seen it.
0: I haven't seen it either, but I think it's a Sherlock Holmes thing. Okay. Yeah, but that came out maybe in the '80s, hmm. something like that. Um, but it just wonder like it makes me wonder like, Walt Disney had a whiteboard and these things <laughs> were on it, and they were just like, you know, what we should hype up in this movie Robin Hood, right? You know? The movies that King were Arthur. Gonna like, gonna have because come out they, later. like if it came out like five years later, I think it came out '64. So, they must have been at least thinking about making it.
1: That's funny, too, because Disney does that now where they'll have little, like, visual tie ins to other movies and future movies.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think about the fact that Tim Burton actually worked for Disney as an animator and designer in the 80s?
1: I did not know that.
0: Okay, there we have it. Well, I mean. Like, what did he do? I guess he did storyboards and character designs i'm not really sure but it sounds like his his designs and his uh his animation never made it into the finished films but he worked okay. on okay the fox and the yeah, hound and <laughs> the black cauldron
1: oh, okay i can definitely believe his stuff not making it into the final films it makes me think of that other guy who did like anastasia and uh treasure don, planet don it was someone who worked for Disney. and No, then, Treasure
0: like, Planet was Disney, wasn't it? Oh, I thought it was, oh, I maybe thought it not. was Don Bluth. You're thinking of like uh, American Tail and All Dogs Go to Heaven?
1: Yeah, Land Before Time, Thumbelina. Wasn't he also, Um, didn't he also work for Disney? He did. And then he left and did his own thing. It makes me think of of him because I'm sure Tim Burton was also like, I'm so much my own aesthetic and I'm going to just go do my own thing.
0: Wasn't Nightmare Before Christmas... That was released by Disney, right?
1: Oh, I think so. Yeah.
0: So I think he went and did like Beetlejuice and Batman, hmm. but either was still under contract or came back to Disney or something like that. But it, it's just, I think it's just interesting because I wonder if he had done that, is if he had done Sleepy Hollow as part of a Disney team, what, what would, would it, the product what have would been? it look like? Yeah. You know, because obviously he wasn't around in 1949. You know, if Disney made it in 1995 and they hired Tim Burton to do it, would it look like Nightmare Before Christmas? Right.
1: Would it be Claymation?
0: I guess that leads to the question of, like, how much does working for Disney or creating something for Disney, like, compromise the product, you know? Because I love Disney, you know? I think they make really good things. But Mm -hmm. I wonder, like, what we're talking about... I don't think you could make that movie as a Disney movie. Even if you did it as a live action movie like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. Pirates. And it makes me wonder what the visuals could have been. Obviously, I think Tim Burton, I don't think he liked working for Disney. Is at least the sense that I get. Maybe I'm wrong. But he clearly loves Disney movies. I mean, he keeps remaking them Mm -hmm. for Disney, right? Like he remade Alice in Wonderland and the sequel for Disney. Even in Sleepy Hollow, I feel like there were so many homages to the Disney movie. Like when he's on the bridge and he hears his name being called by the wind, right? Just
1: like that happened in the Disney. I didn't think about that. That is the same.
0: That he he would like he could hear his name like. That's not just
1: from the uh, the story. I can't remember. An homage to the movie. I can't
0: remember, (laughs) but it seemed like an homage to the movie. And then, I think, all the horse stuff. Like, there were so many horse gags in the Disney movie. Doing some of them, like, him being backwards on the horse. And uh, when they were doing all the horse play. Do you remember that? No. At one point, he ends up, like, backwards on, I think, the horseman's horse.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: And obviously, that's not from the short story. That's, That's straight up from the Disney movie. So, I think some of that was just tim burton we have to include this like i love this yeah i love these scenes you know we have to do it but yeah i I mean it makes me wonder like if you could have a fusion of tim burton and disney what would it have turned out like if if they had waited 40 years and done it in the 80s right and had tim burton working on it what would it have looked like
1: and probably would have been pretty good.
0: Because I don't really think aesthetically they're that different. Like, the difference is that...
1: Yeah, they're both comedic.
0: Yeah, I think they both... I think Tim Burton obviously understands that horror and comedy are go hand in hand. But I think, like, the look of Sleepy Hollow as a town, you know, as something that's isolated, that's important. And they do it very differently, but I think both movies understood that very well. Anyway, it just makes me wonder what it would have looked like.
1: All right, well, thanks for tuning in, and I hope uh, you enjoyed our Halloween special about Sleepy Hollow. No matter what time of year you are listening, thanks uh, for tuning in.
0: I've been David.
1: And this is Claire.
0: All right, thanks a lot. Just gather around, and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees together for their nightly jamboree. There's things with horns and saucer eyes. Some with fangs about this size. Some are fat and some are thin. And some don't even wear their skin. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on Halloween night. When and spooks heaven
1: a jamboree. They break it up
0: Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the hip, horseman, he's the worst. That's why he
1: a bird on
0: Halloween night. But when he goes to jogging across the land, holding a noggin' in his hand, demons take one, look and groan and hip. He's got a yen to make a
1: swap. So he rides one night in year to find a man in the hollow here, Now he likes them little,
0: he likes them big. More in the middle or a wake. Black or white or
1: even
0: red. The headless horseman needs a with, with a, a hip, hip, hip and a grippity club. He's, he's out looking cluck. for a, a chance. Don't stop to figure out a plan You can't reason with a headless man Now if you doubt this tale is so I met that spook just a year ago Now I didn't stop for a second look The name for the bridge that spans the brook But once you cross that bridge, my friend The through his power and soul so When you're right Home tonight, make for the bridge with all your might. You'll be down in the hollow there. If your head will down, beware. With a
1: hip, hip, and a hippity pop Gee, out looking a for a, a head to swap. So don't try to figure out a plan. You can't reason with a headless man.